0: this is uh, dr Pedro ramirez editor-in-chief of the international yeah. journal of gynecological cancer and today i have the great honor and pleasure of uh interviewing dr david gershenson uh for this series of podcasts titled legends in gynecologic oncology uh dr gershenson is uh, someone that obviously we all know in the field of gynecologic oncology Um, and certainly someone that I have uh, personally a tremendous amount of uh, respect and admiration uh, as he has been uh, a personal mentor of mine uh, throughout my academic career. David Gurchison was the chair of the Department of uh, Gynecologic Oncology and Reproductive Medicine here at MD Anderson. He was also uh, the editor-in-chief of uh, Gynecologic Oncology and also uh, past president of the uh, Society of Gynecologic Oncology. Uh, among, uh, obviously, many, many uh, accomplishments and and achievements. So it is a a great pleasure and honor to uh, have you here for this podcast. Uh, Dr. David Gershenson, welcome.
1: Well, thank you, Pedro. It's great, great to be with you today.
0: Well, I wanted to, uh, you know, certainly in this series of legends in gynecologic oncology, as I had, had previously discussed with you, it's it's an opportunity for for us and and, and the community of gynecologic oncologists and and particularly also uh, young uh, trainees to to learn uh, not only about the uh, details on uh, on uh, the impacting work of the individuals that that are interviewed, but also as a, as a person and, and and certainly a human being. So I wanted to ask you first if you can tell us. A little bit about like the earlier years. Where were you born and, and uh, where did you grow up?
1: Yeah, so I was uh, born in a small town, Mount Vernon, Illinois, which was about 30 miles from where my parents lived. It actually had the closest hospital uh, because there was no hospital in my hometown. I grew up in Fairfield, Illinois, which was a farming community of about 6,000 people in the southern part of the state. And uh, I spent my childhood there until I left for college at age 17. It was actually a pretty Id- idyllic childhood growing up in the 1950s and the '60s, and it was pretty typical for boys of that era. And it, I concentrated mainly on sports, music and my schoolwork.
0: So fantastic. And then from there, then what led you to go into? medicine, and and ultimately, obviously, gynecologic oncology?
1: So my father was an old-timey general practitioner in my hometown. He had two years of surgical training, and he performed uh, most uh, common general surgery procedures, appendectomy, cholecystectomy, hernia repairs, etc. He delivered babies. He had office hours until 5 o'clock every day, and then also in the evenings, Uh, Monday through Saturday. I'm not sure if his example inspired me or actually pushed me into uh, feeling at a very early age that I wanted to be a doctor. And then my decision to go into OBGYN was made, uh, I think, between my second and third years of medical school when I did a summer externship. Uh, You know, I perceived it had a great mix of surgery and medicine and, of course, I actually got to do a lot of hands-on learning. But when I began my residency, I was planning actually on a career in maternal fetal medicine because I had a a great interest in medical conditions during pregnancy. Hmm. However, that changed during my chief year of residency when I ran the oncology service for six months. I began to see uh, again that obviously uh, gynecologic oncology had a mix of surgery and medicine, and I perceived a world of opportunities within this very nascent uh, subspecialty.
0: Yeah, so uh, amazing. A a rotation in gynecologic oncology for six months, huh? Basically. (laughs) That had to do it. Uh, And then you you went on to fellowship at uh, MD Anderson. So, Tell us about those years and uh, how do you consider this experience uh, shaped you as a a human being and professionally? Also, perhaps if you can share with us, who who were your co-fellows during that time?
1: Yeah. So at the time of my fellowship training, it was a two-year clinical experience. There was no research Mm year. Fellows took in-house call every third night in the first year and then we were on call 24-7 every third week during our second year or senior year fellowship. And as second-year fellows, we had a great deal of autonomy in the, both in the clinics and in the OR. And all it, although it was pretty grueling, it was simultaneously exhilarating. My co-fellows were uh, Larry Copeland and Jan Sesky. Of course, I think most of your listeners know, know Larry. Jan Sesky was uh, probably the most... Uh, talented of the three of us, <laughs> and he, uh, we all three joined the faculty after we completed fellowship, but after a couple of years, Jan left to go into practice in uh, Pittsburgh. Um, during my fellowship, you know, cisplatinum was in clinical trials, but not yet FDA approved until my senior year. I actually was able to attend the conference to announce the FDA approval in Washington, D.C. Mm. Uh, during that year. And my first research project was an NCI contract clinical trial of single agent cisplatin as first line chemotherapy for advanced uh, epithelial ovarian cancer and that experience I think consolidated my plan to pursue a career in academic medicine and as I mentioned fortunately I was offered a position as assistant professor at MD Anderson after graduation
0: that sounds great. And then just to put in just putting time context, uh, what year was the completion of the fellowship?
1: Uh, Nineteen seventy nine. Wow, amazing! Long so,
0: time ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so then you, you mentioned uh, your your uh, first uh, research project. Uh, do you recall what was your first uh, publication? What year was that? And, and you know, how did David Gershenson, young David Gershenson, feel about the acceptance of that first manuscript?
1: Yeah, Well, so my initial first author publication was this uh, single-agent cisplatinum trial. It was published in 1981 in Obstetrics and Gynecology, and this was also my thesis used for my subspecialty certification by ABOG. And, uh, you know, when it was published, I was thrilled uh, <laughs> when, it, when it appeared in print, and of course, at that time, <laughs> there was no such thing as online publication, <laughs>
0: Everything was in print. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, And you photocopied it and passed it on to your colleagues, right? (laughs) Um, So then now getting into a little bit of your, um, you know, moving forward in your career. um, Was there any one event uh, in your career that made you reflect positively or negatively on your career choice?
1: Yeah, I'm not sure that I can point to any single event that reflected either way on my career choice. Once I made the choice to go into gynecologic oncology and started my fellowship, I really never looked back. Particularly as I completed my fellowship and joined the faculty, I knew that I had selected the best career path for myself. At least I I told myself that, and and to this day I still believe that. Probably the most gratifying experiences were the were the feeling one has after performing a difficult or challenging surgery and the sense of accomplishment in the process of starting the study and seeing it through to publication. I think those were the two things that really uh, were were gratifying to me yeah
0: and Obviously, you, you've you been a, a mentor to so, so many, obviously, including myself, uh, throughout your life. Uh, from your perspective, what do you consider is the most important quality of a mentor and what should our young listeners look forward to
1: uh, in working with a mentor? Yeah, great question. Well, the mentoring partnership uh, is an agreement between two people sharing experiences and expertise to help with the personal and professional growth of the uh, more junior uh, person. You know, I actually never really had what I would consider to be a mentor based on current definitions. This was mostly generational in that there was not the emphasis on mentoring that's evolved over the past two to three decades. However, what I did have was several what I would call advocates Mm -hmm. that helped promote my career. And so a few of those uh, were Nathan Case and Leon Spiroff, who were my Yale professors. Mm. Taylor Wharton, to whom I owe much for his guidance and friendship and giving me many opportunities. And then there were several more senior gynecologic oncologists once I became involved in the SGO leadership. First as a secretary-treasurer-elect, Clarence Ehrlich, Jack Van Nagel, Butch Fowler, and Paul Morrow, name a few. Probably the most important quality of a mentor is the commitment to consistently meet with the mentee over time, to provide organizational insights, and I think to expand the mentee's network to demonstrate caring, compassion, and empathy, and to provide important developmental feedback to the mentee. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Uh and, and certainly I think that that's what we have valued um because you you uh, absolutely exemplify exactly that. Um now let me ask you know and of course obviously you you did mention a number of uh really um key individuals in in your career but um, one one more specific question regarding the you know who you you, you who did David Gershenson look up to or admire um, as you were you know entering or early in your career um, who was that individual?
1: Yeah, again, a lot of the same individuals I mentioned. Nathan Case and Leon Spiroff really inspired me. I think to go into academic medicine because of their their academic excellence. I admired Taylor for his surgical prowess Mm. and his great influence within the MD Anderson community and the greater gynecologic oncology community. And then then the the other senior gynecologic oncologist I mentioned, Clarence, Jack, Butch, and Paul, I think I admired for their personal qualities and their expertise. And I also, you know, looked up to several of my peers, foremost among uh, whom were Bill Hoskins, Larry Copeland, and Carl Podratz, uh, uh, with whom we had a great run uh, for 18 years uh, on the journal.
0: And and that then uh, brings me to my next question. Um, Obviously, you led the journal, uh, Gynecologic Oncology, for many years um, as editor-in-chief. How was that experience? Um, What did you learn from it?
1: Well, actually, the uh, the start of this was pretty tumultuous. <laughs> I, was, I was invited to be the editor-in-chief of the journal starting in 1990 by the, by the publisher who actually owned the journal following a vetting process uh, that I was even not aware of. <laughs> the, um, the publisher had made a decision to divorce the current editorial board and its editor, Dr. Saul Gusberg, before ever contacting me due to a difference in the the vision between the publisher and the editorial board. But for the SGO membership, particularly those senior members who were friends of Dr. Gusberg, this was viewed as a coup d'etat. And what the, the SGO senior members did not understand is that at the time SGO had no didn't even have a contract or agreement with the publisher for the journal so the publisher did not even need to consult with the SGO to make that change but it was uh, you know uh, uh, not not a good period for a while and then once the upheaval died down after a few months we settled into our roles and serving as editor-in-chief was an amazing, uh, very gratifying experience for me, as I'm sure you found uh, with the International Journal. We expanded the editorial board significantly with term limits. We added women. I think maybe there had been one woman for the past several years under Dr. Gusberg. Mm -hmm. And we also uh, added physicians to the board from other disciplines. And we established written guidelines for authors. However, you know, after so many years, the four of us mutually agreed that it was time to step down and give uh, someone else an opportunity uh, to lead the journal.
0: Yeah, and uh, and what a fantastic journey it was uh, under the leadership of uh, you and and the group obviously raised uh, the the quality and the and the profile of the journal tremendously, so con- congratulations to to all of you. Oh, now, Thank you. so the, the the next question, obviously, you you served uh, as chair of the Department of Gynecologic Oncology for several years. Um, what does it take to be,
1: quote, a great chair? Yeah, I don't necessarily believe that there's any single set of characteristics for a great chair. I think it does vary. I would mention a few qualities I deem to be important. Uh integrity, obviously, emotional intelligence, a sense of fairness, Uh, knowing when to give someone a second chance, an understanding that one needs to be a servant leader and to subjugate his or her own professional goals below those of their constituents. And I think you have to have a vision for being able to see what requires improvement and then to try to work tirelessly to accomplish those objectives. In addition, I, I, as I said, I do believe uh, strongly in term limits for chairs. Mm. After 14 years as chair, I felt I had accomplished about all that I uh, was going to be able to. I was interested in spending the remaining years of my career focused on other things, the clinical and translational re- uh, research of rare gynecologic tumors. And so I met with the the then president of the MD Anderson, John Mendelson, let him know that I was ready to step down, and I think too many chairs have overstayed their time in office, ultimately with uh, with negative consequences. Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely, and, uh, and and I think certainly um, you, the the outline that you have uh, provided I think will be played back many times by uh, by those who are along the the path in their career looking at potential chair positions so uh that 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 was really eloquent and articulate uh, articulated very well so thank you for that um now getting on to uh collaborative group studies you you conducted obviously several um over time what do you see as the change for the feasibility of these studies and the quality of these multi-group studies
1: So, you know, in in 2005, at the urging of Ted Trimble, the GOG invited me to chair a new rare tumor committee to develop clinical trials for rare gynecologic malignancies. Initially, I think the GOG leadership was somewhat resistant to creating this new committee, but they ultimately agreed based on Ted's uh, urging. It's important to remember that prior to that time all gynecologic cancers uh, re- regardless of subtype were treated identically within clinical trials and outside clinical trials with the notable exception of malignant ovarian germ cell tumors and sex cord stromal tumors. The initial trial GOG239 which was a phase 2 trial of selumetinib for recurrent low-grade serous carcinoma was activated in 2007 with several other trials uh, to follow that the committee uh, developed. And along the way, we learned several valuable lessons, not the least of which was the importance of feasibility, because we did have some failures, either in the approval process or actually uh, trials that were activated and were not able to be completed. So since that time, the, the NCI's decision to dissolve the GOG as a standalone cooperative group and com- combine it with the NSABP and RTOG um, has really dramatically changed the landscape. I think that was a very bad decision. Mm. Academic trials through NRG oncology are far fewer and much more difficult to be approved, whereas the GOG partners mechanism has attracted the majority of industry driven trials. Personally, I'm, you know, I'm really not that uh, comfortable with this separation. Mm -hmm. I believe that a single mechanism would be much healthier for our discipline, but I'm, uh, I'm probably in the minority on that point. (laughs) Very well.
0: Um, Yeah, certainly, obviously uh, lots of uh, (laughs) points of discussion on, on on that question as well. But um, let me ask you now, look, looking back on your career, obviously you have made numerous contributions to gynecologic oncology, but from your perspective, when you sit down and you say this is probably the most impacting work that I contributed to gynecologic oncology, is there one, or what would that be in in your mind? Yeah, I'm not sure
1: I can uh, I can point to uh, one one uh, particular one. Um, let me just uh, think about that for a moment. Um,
0: <laughs> we, we, we can certainly come back to that and uh, and uh, and ask you uh, a, a few other questions. while while, while you think about that, um, okay. uh, you know, when you look at gynecologic oncology, obviously it's uh, it's been uh, a, a transitioning field. And uh, what do you think gynecologic oncology is going to look like? in 15 years?
1: Yeah, I'm not very good at making predictions. I would say a (laughs) few things, uh, surgical procedures, I think will even become less radical for several of the cancers we treat. Mm -hmm. And obviously systemic therapies will be significantly more effective. Um, and you know, I think there are going to be fewer and fewer males within the subspecialty, um, as, as time goes on, just because of the, uh, the uh, welcome introduction of women in, into the specialty, but I, wouldn't, I would not like to see, you know, males continue to be interested in the specialty. Um, to, to get back to the question you asked me about <laughs> contributions to gynecologic oncology, looking back on my career, you know, I think it's difficult to articulate my most impactful work. Um, rather, you know, I think that's for others to decide, Over the course of my career, I made a determined effort to strive for humility, a quality that I observed in Felix Rutledge, but not always successfully. Mm. And throwing off the cloak of humility for a moment, I guess, you know, I point to my early contributions to the evolution of treatment for malignant ovarian germ cell tumors and then uh, all of the work I've devoted over the past two decades to the study of uh, serous borderline tumors and uh, low-grade serous carcinoma.
0: And, and and again, I mean those those are amazing contributions, and we value um, and, and you know certainly particularly in our day-to-day clinical practice having you. Uh, so close by so we can always consult with you on on these uh, these uh, rare tumors and, uh, and and certainly again um, amazing contribution over the years um, which then brings me to that point of uh, you know as, as I mentioned it we, we always uh, me personally we have clinic on the same day so I always appreciate just being able to walk down the hall and ask you uh, uh, challenging questions uh, regarding uh, complex cases Um you know, certainly we all admire uh, the fact that uh, you're you're seeing patients, you're contributing in the multidisciplinary conferences. Um, what motivates you today to continue doing that?
1: Yes. Well, like most in- individuals, I think of my generation, almost my entire de- identity has been based on my professional career. <laughs> I, I, I uh, can certainly uh, confess that I, Over the course of my career, I didn't have the optimal work-life balance, which is so important to living a happy life. Mm -hmm. So I think my main motivation today is to make every effort to improve my personal qualities, to focus on uh, the life part of living. Um, So while I'm enjoying working part-time now and, and hopefully contributing, you know, I have an amazing family. My focus is increasingly on spending as much time as possible with them and uh, hoping to enjoy some of the experiences that I had missed during the uh, the bulk of my career. Yeah,
0: and and I think that's a a great segue into my next question. Uh, Recently, uh, we had the the match of the residents uh, learning of their matching in uh, gynecologic oncology. Um so obviously, for many uh, these days are exciting days uh starting gynecologic oncology as a career. What would you advise a young trainee starting gynecologic oncology today?
1: well i think I think the subspecialty is still uh, one of the best uh subspecialties or specialties around i think there there are great opportunities um, you know i would i would I would tell them. First of all, have a positive attitude. It's easy to become cynical even you know, after completing the medical school and residency, it's, it's tough. But have a positive attitude, work hard, be kind to others. I think a sense of humor is ex- extremely beneficial. I think uh, fellowship is a time to refine both your, your skills and also your personal qualities um, unlike what I did, <laughs> strive for work-life balance. <laughs> I think early on in your training, you should select a mentor. I think that's very important. And then finally, I think it's also important whether or not you en- end up in academics or not. I think to establish a five-year plan for your professional career, where do you see yourself in five years, and how are you going to achieve that? Very well.
0: Um, And then this next question, I actually may may need to give you a little bit of time to pause and think. uh, If the David Gershenson of today was giving advice to David Gershenson starting his fellowship many years ago, what would you tell him to do
1: differently? Yes, great question. So my intensity starting out uh, when I finished fellowship at times translated into a person I'm not that proud of I didn't always treat others as I would today, and I was too opinionated. I was too judgmental. So my best advice would, would be uh, be kinder to others. Uh, I would tell myself, uh, don't take yourself so seriously. And as I've mentioned a couple of times, establish a better work-life balance and spend more time with your family. Fantastic advice. Um...
0: Now, this, this other one, uh, I think uh, we we're all uh, interested in learning. Uh, had you not become a gynecologic oncologist, uh, what would have been your dream alternative uh, career?
1: Well, this may or may not surprise you. There's, there's no question here. I, I would become a composer-arranger. <laughs> I, I love music, and from the third grade through my college years, I played the, uh, the trumpet, and if I might say so, was a pretty exceptional musician. <laughs> um, and I considered becoming a professional musician, but ultimately, uh, for many reasons that you can imagine, uh, decided against it. Um, but I believe uh, this would uh, be just as uh, rewarding or more rewarding uh, than being a physician. So that would be my, that would be my dream career.
0: Fantastic. Uh, a, a, a very nice piece of information that I'm sure many uh, did not know. Um, so I want to be obviously respectful of your time. So I have a couple of more questions. Um, what do you look forward to after you retire?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a tough one. I've done quite a, actually quite a bit of study about retirement. I've spoken with a number of my friends and colleagues about their experiences And for someone like me, full retirement will be, I think, will be somewhat of a challenge. (laughs) But I'm on a a journey to do my best uh, to making the most of it. As mentioned, I think spending more time with Michelle and my children and my grandchildren and hopefully more grandchildren will be a large part of this uh, phase of my life. And then I, you know, it's not like I have a lot of hobbies. I play the piano. I love to read. Um, et cetera, et cetera, but I, I probably need to figure out uh, a new hobby. (laughs) Mm.
0: So then now, um, one last question. Um, how would you like to be remembered uh, when looking back on your career by others?
1: Well, I think I want to be remembered as a flawed individual who tried, who tried his best to lead a meaningful life, who uh, tried to help others. Who made uh, contributions to our discipline and who left uh, some sort of uh, positive legacy? Amazing.
0: David Gershinson, thank you very much for your time. Uh, obviously, I think I speak for all in the field of gynecologic oncology when I say thank you for all that you have contributed, not only to our field, but uh, also most importantly to so many women with gynecologic cancers. Uh, we really value you, admire you, and uh, appreciate you. Thank you very much.
1: Well, Pedro, I, I'd also like to thank you for this opportunity to share a few of my thoughts about our subspecialty and about life. Uh, I'd also like to take the opportunity to, to actually compliment you on your editor-in-chief uh, 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 of the International Journal. I think you've uh, made a lot of advances and uh, new initiatives like the podcasts and uh, other things. And uh, so I'd like to thank you for that and, and congratulate you. It's been a distinct pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you.